I love hearing babies, so it's a-okay. Uh, if we don't have babies in the church, we're in trouble, okay? We need to keep, uh, keep having uh, little ones here. So thankful. And Willow, I'm glad that you're here today. Willow gets to come to our house each day during the week, and so it's always fun. So she might be trying to talk back to me. So I want to invite you to your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 5 through 18, a good chunk of Scripture today. If you have been with us, we are walking through this Sermon on the Mount, this sermon that Jesus preached. Crowds come to him, his disciples are there, and he sits down on this mountainside to teach. You're welcome to follow along. It's on the, in the Pew Bible on page 787. Uh, in front of you. You can pull your device out, but I'd like for you to follow along on these Bible verses. These are the words of Jesus, and he's going to talk about prayer today. He's going to talk about prayer. A.B. Bruce, in a book written in 1889 called The Training of the Twelve, he says, prayer is a necessity of spiritual life, and all who earnestly try to pray soon feel the need of teaching how to do it. And let's be honest, a lot of us probably pray. Studies show that most people pray, uh, but if we were going to be honest, we probably could feel like we need some help on how to pray and how to be effective in prayer. And most of us would say, I need to pray and I really should pray more. Uh, so I want to talk about this deep need as we follow Jesus that, that we need to pray uh, and we should pray differently. We're going to talk about different prayers uh, Richard Foster defines prayer this way. Prayer is nothing more than an ongoing and growing relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if you approach prayer as this is a relational, growing aspect, it's, it's relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I think that's helpful because if you have relationships and you want them to be healthy, then you have to have some talk, don't you? There's some communication that happens. There's some talking as well as listening. And so think of prayer as conversation with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I also want to give credit to John Stott. His uh, material today was, I, I grabbed his outline and uh, listened to one of his sermons. It's actually the, the last sermon that he preached at his church, All Souls Church in Langham Place, England. And this, he preached on this text, the Lord's Prayer that we're going to look at. And I just want to give him credit because his highlight outlines made sense to me. So as we look at these verses, there's two examples of, of prayer that we should avoid and one example of prayer we should embrace. So we got two warnings and, and one way we should pray. So the first uh, warning prayer is that we should avoid what, what Stott calls Pharisaic prayer, the Pharisees, the, the hypocrites. And they're not listed by name, but generally when we hear the word hypocrites, that's what Jesus had in mind was those teachers of the law. So let's get into our verses today. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Those are the, the play actors in the Greek play, the theater. Remember, they have the mask and they play different roles. And he's like, no more mask. Don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go to your father, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That phrase there at the end, verse 6, is the second of three times in this sermon we'll see this 
phrase. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We saw it at the end of verse 4 last week where Jesus says, when you give, don't make a big show of it. Just, just do it. Just give with a pure heart and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We hear it here in verse 6. When you pray, don't make a big show. You just pray, you and God, your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And then in verse 18, when he's going to talk about fasting, he says, don't make a show about fasting. Just fast and that your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So three times Jesus reminds us of, you know, don't practice your righteousness to make yourself look good. You just do it to honor God, to make Jesus look good. So here's the first warning. Pharisaical prayer draws attention to self instead of God. So when you're praying, when you're giving to those who need, when you fast, are you trying to make yourself look good or do you just want to love God? It's not the action that, God, that Jesus is, is worried about. He expects you to give to the needy. He expects you to pray. He expects you to fast. But he's like, what is your internal motives? What is the heart or the intent behind those righteous practices? And so the Pharisees, they loved to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. They wanted to, to let people know, look how good I am drawing attention to self. Now, some people say, hey, we shouldn't ever pray in public. Right here, verse 5, no public prayer ever. If that's true, then we've already messed it up a few times, haven't we? So is that what really what Jesus is getting at? No public prayer ever? No. You can read through the Bible, and there's lots of public prayers. In 1 Kings 8, Solomon spends years building the temple, and they bring the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. And Solomon leads the congregation in a beautiful public prayer. The book of Psalms that we have read are intended to be prayed with others. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6, there was an outlaw, don't pray to your God, only to the emperor. And he prayed three times a day as usual and got thrown in the lion's den for it. So Jesus isn't against public prayer, he's against making the prayer about us. And so we have this opportunity to remember who are we praying to. We're praying to our Father who is unseen. Let's be honest, that's hard to get our minds around. But he says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. So do you have a place? Now we should pray everywhere all the, all the, all, everywhere all the time. I mean, we're just supposed to be walking prayers, to be honest. But do you have some space in your house where it's, it's kind of set aside? That'd be helpful. You could go into a closet. If you've seen the war, movie War Room, there's a great example of what that could look like. But do you have some space designated in your house? Like, this is, this is where I, when I come to this space, I know what to expect. It's my tent of meeting place with Jesus. It might be helpful to designate some space in your house. For you and God. Jesus also ties into this theme of fasting. Verse 16. So I, prayer and fasting go together uh, so much so. So I wanted to hear verses 16 through 18. Jesus says, when you fast. NIV translates it when, not if you fast. I think Jesus expects his people to fast. He says, when the bridegroom is taken away, then my people will fast. We're in that time now. 
When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So I'm already kind of making people uncomfortable because we don't really know, we don't like this in America, let's be honest. We think that if we don't have three square meals a day with several snacks in between, we are starving. And, you know, my kids are frequently saying, Dad, I'm starving, okay? And it's been less than three or four hours since they've eaten, okay? Okay, we can survive several days without food. I mean, we can. Now, let me just say this. For some people, uh, there's, you know, medical conditions, things going on, you know, blood sugar needs to be regulated. So physically fasting from food is just not an option because of medications and things. So, so hear that. Jesus wants you to, to, to follow your doctor. That's, that's good. And so with this food fast that we're talking about, generally we say when a fast is not having food for a certain period of time for spiritual purposes to connect with Jesus. That's that's specifically the fast definition for those of you who are in those situations you better seek your your doctor and see if that's an option or not if it's not an option there's other ways to do that but consider this especially in this season of lent that just began on wednesday from now till easter maybe there's some type of fasting that you want to do each week between now and easter maybe you choose uh, I'm going to stop, I'm not going to have lunch on Wednesdays or whatever it is for you. And you're going to take that lunchtime on Wednesday to, to, to spend with Jesus. That might be an option for you to consider. Find something that would disrupt your normal routine to just say, I'm going to spend time with Jesus. Because Jesus reminded the evil one, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's other things that you could fast from, specifically if the, the, the food fast is not an option for you. Maybe you want to uh, fast from uh, social media stuff. Maybe you take a break from, from Facebook or Instagram or TikTok from now till Easter. And those days and hours or minutes or however much time you would be in that area, you replace with something to fill yourself up with Jesus. So find some ways that you could creatively find some connection with Jesus during this holy season of Lent, preparing for Easter. I want to remind you to be praying for one person who's someone who doesn't know Jesus that you can pray for every day between now and Easter that could come closer to, to Jesus. And maybe you invite them to Easter services with us in April. That might be something to consider. The Pharisees, they would fast frequently. They fasted a lot. And they would make it a show. They would kind of make themselves look all oh, woe is me, disfigure their faces, maybe wear roughed up clothes and just, you know, I make, Jesus like, don't be like that. Don't be like that. You just go about your normal day and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Jesus warns, pharisaical prayer draws attention to self instead of God. We go on to verse 7. And we find out that pagan prayer continues with mindless repetitions instead of thoughtful conversation. Here's verse uh, 7 and 8. 
Jesus says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they will think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. That's where we got this series idea for different. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask them. Before you ask Him. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You skip down to verse 32. We're going to see this verse next week. For the pagans run after these things, food and drink and clothing, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So the pagans, a lot of times, they would, they would pray lots and lots of words. They would just babble and just say some mindless repetitions. Maybe Jesus is talking about some of those Eastern practices where you just would kind of chant a mantra that was just meaningless and you just go over and over and over. He's saying, don't do that. They think they'll be heard because of their many words. No, do not be like that. Mindless repetitions. I think we've got to be careful. Let's be honest. If you've been following Jesus for a while, we kind of get stuck into certain ruts with our prayer language. We just kind of say the same things over and over and over. And then we kind of get bored and then we're like... I just don't want to pray anymore because I just say the same things. And so maybe we need to find some ways that we can engage our brains a little deeper, have this thoughtful conversation, view prayer more as this relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so maybe it's helpful to think about uh, praying some scriptures, that we get some scripture in our, in our vocabulary to deepen our prayers. The Psalms are the prayer book of Jesus. Those New Testament letters like Romans and Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, all of those have prayers in them. And maybe as you're reading your Bible, you say, oh, that's a good prayer. And you start praying scripture. That would be a helpful way to pray. It's okay to pray the same thing over and over. That's not evil. Jesus prayed the same thing in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, yours be done. And the, the Lord's Prayer that we're going to read here in a moment, there's value in, in praying that over and over. But is your mind engaged? Do you know what you're saying or are you just kind of mouthing the words? I think Jesus is warning against the mindless repetition instead of viewing prayer as thoughtful conversation. The authorized version says, calls those the babbling vain repetitions. John Stott says, if the praying of the Pharisees was hypocritical and the praying of the pagans was mechanical, then the prayer of Christians must be real, genuine, authentic, sincere, as opposed as hypocritical and thoughtful as opposed to mechanical. Whereas the Pharisees prayed in a phony way, the pagans prayed in an ignorant way. So I invite you to form our prayers by Scripture. Because our Father wants to hear what we have to say, and that can give us some language. Much like what Rick reminded us from that prayer from Psalm 18. He's my rock, my refuge, my fortress, my shield. So we have to be careful about those prayers of the pagans, of just saying, well, if God just hears my words. It's more about engaging our heart as well. Verses 9 through 15, we get to the prayer that we should pray, which is Christian prayer. Christian prayer is sincere, thoughtful communication with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's sincere, whereas the, the Pharisees put on a show. 
No, we're sincere in our prayers and we're thoughtful. It's not just mindless repetition going through the motions. Thoughtful. So let's get into these words here. Verse 9 through 15. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Verse 14, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Here's our prayer. Sounds pretty powerful, doesn't it? What I love about this prayer is that when I pray it with people that have prayed this prayer over the years, especially I'm thinking of like older saints, I can still remember being in hospital rooms praying for people that are, you know, I thought they were asleep. And there's, they're just, you know, maybe it's medication, but, you know, they're, they're just out of it. And I start, Our Father, who art in heaven, and I can hear them and watch them mouth the words. They may not be able to even physically say the words, but they're mouthing along with them. They have committed this prayer to their hearts. I love that about our faithful saints when I've had the opportunity to pray with them in the hospitals, this prayer. We've got to be careful because this isn't, doesn't want to become another mantra, but there's something to be said about praying these words. Some people call it the disciples' prayer or the model prayer. Stott reminds us that there's two sets of three here. Once we get to our Father in heaven, we talk of, he says that we talk about uh, God's glory and our needs. Our Father in heaven, that's a pretty revolutionary thought to call God Father. He is our Father in heaven. I also love that Jesus says, Our Father. So when I wanted to make sure that we, we see that this is Jesus and He's saying, Our Father. He's my Father. He's your Father. He's our Father in heaven. This isn't just my Father. It's our Father. So again, another example of we should pray this with people. Our Father in heaven for some you hear that phrase that word father and it doesn't bring very good memories i want you to recognize that know that you're loved and that god wants to be that father that may have that you never had he can be that perfect loving father for you so you can go to him in prayer our father in heaven and then here's the the prayers for god's glory your name your kingdom your will hallowed be your name i was talking with michael this week uh, about this message i'm like okay i'm trying to make sure that, you know when i talk about prayer we have this prayers this relationship between relationship between father son holy spirit we're talking to father son holy spirit where's the holy spirit in this prayer because this word is, you know, spirit doesn't show up here. But I, then I'm like, well, he's right there and hallowed. The word for hallowed is holy. 
It's the same, same part for Holy Spirit. So he's there. Our Father. So Jesus is saying, Our Father, God, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. We approach our Father in both this intimacy that we can go to our dad, but also this reverent awe that he is holy and we are not. He is pure, we are not. Think about this, the story in Exodus chapter 3 where Moses sees this bush on fire and it's not consumed. He said, I'm going to go over and see this strange sight, why the bush is on fire but it's not burning up. And, and then the voice speaks to him, it's, the, it's God, and he's like, take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground. And then they have some conversation back and forth and Moses tries to throw off some excuses of how he shouldn't follow God's plan to lead his people out of Egypt. And, and, God, and Moses is like, hey, what's your name? If I go to Egypt and they say, you know, what's this God's name? What's his name? And he says, tell them I am sent you. I am who I am. From everlasting to everlasting, I am sent you. We give God's name honor. A few chapters later, Exodus 20, one of the Ten Commandments, don't misuse the name of the Lord. Do not use the Lord's name in vain. We honor God's name when we pray to Him. And so we come to Him with a holy reverence and respect. So we pray and give God's glory through His name. So when you pray, just say, Father in heaven, you can say that. You can say, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, however you want to address. And you could praise God, praise Him for who He is, what He's done. And He says, Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Jesus talks a lot about this kingdom in this sermon. I don't know if you've caught that yet. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verses 19 and 20, it talks about those who will be least in the kingdom of heaven, those who will be great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20, he says, if your righteousness does not surpass the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then here we pray, your kingdom come. So when we pray, are we trying to advance our kingdom? Or do we want God's kingdom to advance? We were talking, maybe we should define what kingdom means, the kingdom of God. Here's my working definition of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God's reign through the good news of Jesus Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is God's reign through the good news of Jesus through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. God's the king, so he's in charge. He's ruling and he does that through the, the good news of Jesus. The good news is that gospel story. Jesus came to rescue us from sin. He died on a cross, buried, rose, to, rose on the third day, ascended into heaven. That's the good news. Jesus also was preaching. The kingdom of God is here. In his preaching, he was communicating the good news of this kingdom through his preaching. And one day, Jesus will come back and establish and finish this kingdom. So I think there's the good news of Jesus is through this kingdom. And also it's through the Holy Spirit. Between now until Jesus comes back, this kingdom is established through the ministry of the Holy Spirit through us. 
Because the disciples asked in Acts chapter 1, are you going to now establish your kingdom? He's like, it's not for you to know the times or the dates when my father set. You just wait for the spirit to come on you, the power. So the kingdom is God's reign through the good news of Jesus, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Here's how I'd summarize the sermon in a sentence. If you want something to take home today, Christian prayer joins with Jesus and the Holy Spirit to advance our Father's kingdom. So when you say, okay, I'm going to pray. Preacher says, I need to pray. Here's what you're doing when you're praying. You're joining Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're joining Jesus and the Holy Spirit to advance our Father's kingdom. That kind of puts some of our prayer requests into perspective, doesn't it? We're joining with Jesus, the perfect Son of God who saved us, the Holy Spirit who teaches and can take some of what we're feeling in our heart and make common sense into it to the Father for us, to advance God's kingdom. That's why we pray for missionaries here most every week. That's why we want to make a difference in our community with our neighbors. We want to advance God's kingdom, and prayer is one of the clearest Exciting ways to do that. We also pray for God's will. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to pray God's will. Paul reminds us in Romans 12 verse 2 that God's will is good, perfect, and pleasing. And God's will is better than ours. And we remember Jesus' prayer in the garden, not my will, yours be done. Father Tim, in uh, the Mitford series, my wife loves those Mitford stories by Jan Karen, and it follows this Episcopal priest named Father Tim. Uh, he's uh, late in life and has this big, big dog that obeys scripture. The dog's name is Barnabas, and uh, he can quote scripture and the dog will do what it says. But was his, as he walks through this small town of Mitford, which sounds like New Berlin, um, he just prays with people throughout and he says, let's pray the prayer that never fails. And when you hear those phrases, let's pray the prayer that never fails, that prayer is, your will be done. So I want to pray and then I want, let me finish. I'm not done yet, so hang on, give me a few more minutes, okay? But I want to pray that we, since we're talking about prayer, we should pray. And so we, let's just think about how we can pray God's name, God's kingdom, God's will, and then we're going to look at our needs and how we can pray for those. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are holy. We are not. But through your love, we can call you Father. We pray that your kingdom would come. I pray that for our families. I pray that, that husbands would, would lead with love and truth and sacrificial love for their wife and for their kids. We pray that we would be kingdom-minded in our thinking and in our finances and in our relationships. Lord, we pray your will be done. And Lord, there's times where we're, we just want what we want, but help us to release that desire and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.
not only do we pray God's glory, we also pray for our needs. There is a, poor, there's a place for our needs, but it seems like we rush past the God's glory stuff and we just say, God, here's what I really need. And so I think we keep in perspective, let's, let's focus on what God wants, then we can focus on what we need. There's a difference between needs and wants, and I try to remind my kids of that often. You don't need this, you want it. And so here's it, verse 11. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we also forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Give us our daily bread. So give us. So we're asking God, please give me something. Daily bread. In that society, you gathered food for the day. Maybe if it was at nighttime, you would pray this prayer. You'd say, oh, give us the bread we need for tomorrow when we wake up. In Exodus chapter 16, the God gives the people the manna. If you remember that story, they're wandering the wilderness. Forty years, he gives them manna every single day, uh, six days a week. On the last day, they got a double portion so they did not have to gather on the Sabbath day of rest. And that was God's provision. Give us this day our daily bread. They know what this looks like in France. We got to go to France uh, earlier, Grace and I did, and I had baguettes for breakfast every single day for like two weeks, and it was great. Uh, and it was just these big monster bread, and uh, we don't have bakeries like this, at least here. I don't, maybe they are in the cities, but these, I mean, like every corner there's these bakeries, and it's just amazing. They're just so, so good. And uh, they had this one big loaf. I can't even remember what it's called, but it's just like, it's big bread is what they called it. And it was like several kilograms, I mean, pound of bread. And they just say, how, how much do you want of this monster loaf? Okay, love their bread in France. And so they know what it's like to give us this day our daily bread because most days you're going down the street to get fresh bread. Uh, ours isn't quite like that here. Uh, but it's just a good reminder when we're praying. So even when you're having your bread, if, if you're having toast for breakfast or that sandwich at lunch, you can use that as a trigger. Say, thank you, Jesus. Give us today our daily bread. We are dependent on God. And so I think a prayer reminds us we are dependent on you, God, for our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Verse 12, forgive us our debts. Some translations will say transgressions or sins. Probably this is a good description of, of debt. We owe something to someone. And so forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is a scary part of the, of the, this, the verse, the prayer. God, you forgive us our debts in the same way we forgive others. You willing, you willing to pray that one? God, you forgive me the same way I forgave so-and-so yesterday. Do you understand what he's saying here? He's comparing, you measure my forgiveness the same way I've forgiven others. Which kind of makes you think, I better start forgiving other people more. Do you understand? Because we are sinners in need of God's grace. Here's what he's, just in case you don't catch the point, he goes on here in verses 14 and 15. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I told you this sermon's hard. This is one of those hard verses. Because forgiveness is hard and it is a journey. And this is a whole sermon right here, folks. So I just want to just highlight it and say, just because you extend forgiveness doesn't mean you have to stay in a relationship with someone. Okay? There's a lot of things going on that are very complex with forgiveness. 
But there's a journey toward that. And if we are forgiven people, then we must extend forgiveness to others. Forgiven people forgive people. And so forgive us our debts, our sins, as we have forgiven others. So we ask for forgiveness, and we can forgive others. And then the, the last part is, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So we need to recognize there's evil out there. And we need protection from evil. I pray that a lot for my kids, especially in the mornings when they go off to school. Lord, protect their hearts and minds. They're going to encounter some stuff today, and I want you to protect them. So pray prayers of protection and that Jesus will deliver us from evil. We live in an evil world. Thankfully, Jesus has overcome. John Stott says it this way, a Trinitarian Christian, which I always hate using the word Trinitarian. It just means someone who believes in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is bound to see in these three petitions, you know, give us, forgive us, deliver us, a veiled allusion to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Since it's through the Father's creation that He provides us that we receive our daily bread, through the Son's atoning death that we may be forgiven, and it's through the Holy Spirit's indwelling power that we are rescued from the evil one. So when we are praying in those ways, it kind of broadens our perspective, doesn't it? Of like, oh, maybe God really is helping me. He's given me this food. He forgives me through Jesus, and he can deliver us through evil because of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We are, have help. John Tyson has a ministry, and he sends emails out frequently, and he emailed this just this week uh, talking about in the early 1900s, there was a couple uh, two ladies named Kate and Mary Jackson. Uh, they were laboring for a couple years doing work with Salvation Army. And uh, it was just hard, hard sledding. They were in a small town. Not a lot of things was happening. And they wrote to William Booth, who started Salvation Army. And they, they asked, would you please kindly move us to another station? We're tired, disheartened. We've tried everything that we've been taught Please move us somewhere else. His reply was two words. Try tears. Try tears. They did that. They chose to pray and to weep over their community. Those girls went to travailing prayer, not just prayer, but travailing prayer, prayer with anguish in it. They started to realize that there was something deeper here, and they just prayed with tears. Hebrews tells us that Jesus prayed with tears. When's the last time he cried over the sins of this world? Maybe we need to ask tears for our children growing up in a godless world. Maybe it's time that we ask God to give us tears for a generation plagued with anxiety. That we ask God for tears for the staggering rates of depression and suicide. Ask for tears for the slow decay stealing our light and joy. Try tears. Many want the fruit of revival, but they don't understand the price of revival. If you followed along what's happened in Kentucky the last couple weeks, Asbury, 
People call it a revival, an outpouring of the Spirit, something spiritual happening there. There's been a committed group of leaders faithfully praying, weeping, contending for a move of God at Asbury over the years. Behind the scenes of students cheering were leaders contending. Behind the hours of worship were leaders weeping. Long before the lines of crowds, there was heartfelt groans. Leonard Ravenhill says, the road to revival is often paved with tears and brokenness. My friends, we have witnessed pharisaical prayer, people praying just for a show. We've witnessed pagan prayer, just people mindlessly saying some words. But it's time for Christian prayer where we join Jesus and the Holy Spirit to advance our Father's kingdom. My question is, who's with me? Let's pray. Our Father, we ask for your help. We give you glory. May your name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask that you'd provide for our daily needs. Lord, there's people here that probably need something uh, paid for like a car repair or a rent check to come. We pray you'd provide those needs. Lord, we do ask that you would help us to forgive others and we thank you for the forgiveness that you give to us through Jesus. Lord, protect us from temptation and from the evil one. And Lord, may we weep over the things that break your heart. May we walk out of here today with a desire to spend time praying and enjoying that intimacy that comes with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.